to be honest, I've preached it before. I've gone through it before, but I feel a fresh um, understanding and perspective that I didn't have years ago when I've you know shared this with youth group or done this last year on our YouTube channel. This is going to be a fresh perspective on prayer because what the Lord has done in my life through prayer, um, I, I just want to give to people. And I can't do that. All I can do is give you the scriptures that the Lord will uh, lead you into an, a, a changed prayer life through. And so today in this whole series on prayer, we have to start from ground zero. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what prayer is defined in scripture because you'll be surprised. I know a lot of people are like, I know what prayer is. Why are we going through what prayer is? I know what it is. Ah, I don't know. <laughs> you'd be surprised. When you, when you learn to define prayer correctly, from there you can build on that and actually begin seeing progress. But you can't move forward if you have a faulty foundation. So I want to um, put the idea out there that, that maybe your, your understanding of prayer, your definition of prayer isn't entirely intact. Maybe it isn't entirely accurate. And that's fine. That's fine because there's so many ways in which our understanding of prayer can be corrected throughout our life. But I want to give you the best understanding of what prayer is so that when you leave this message, you know, I understand what prayer is and I know how to effectively move forward at least from there. Because many people aren't seeing the power of God in their life. They're not seeing uh, the, the transformation God wants to bring. They're not seeing answered prayers. They're not seeing healing. Not only because of this, but sometimes it's primarily because we don't know how to pray. And if you don't have a prayer life, this is what I've learned in the last years, your prayer life is foundational to everything else in your life. And I know I say this with every series, but like identity is key. Understanding the truth of God's word is key. But prayer as the foundation of our life can change everything. The only reason, and I, I say this with confidence, the only reason that we're sitting in a home that is, is miraculous. There's no reason we should have this. On paper, it doesn't make sense. Financially, it doesn't make sense. There's no reason we should be here in South Carolina where we don't know anyone. We have one friend where we don't have any family. There's no reason this should be happening. This is a miracle. This is a miracle. And I, and I say this with confidence that we are only here because God answered the cry of our heart. God answered the prayer we didn't even know to make. And there were so many aspects of our prayer. Like we, my wife and I have been praying for years. God, would you just provide a house, provide a house for our family, provide a place for us to live. And we've had an idea of what that would look like. But never did we think that it would look the way it does now. We thought you'd provide a roof over our head. You'd give us, you know, uh, a small place to live and on, on a piece of property. We just, we want to have the farm life. You know, we're weird like that. Okay, call us crazy. But we want to be homesteaders and that kind of stuff. And we had an idea as we're praying of what it would look like for God to answer our prayer. And now that he has, like I'm sitting in an, an answered prayer. I'm, sit, I'm literally in the studio that should not be something I'm in. So when I, when I tell you that prayer fundamentally changes your life, and if you can define prayer appropriately and move forward in prayer, everything can change. And I'm not going to restrict or, or, or minimize all our problems down to just, just pray harder, just learn to pray. But a lot of the issues in our life, not feeling purpose, not, you know, maybe you're feeling overwhelmed or discouraged or, or dissatisfied or, or burdened by life, or you're not in the career you want. A lot of these issues we see in our life sometimes have to do with the fact that we don't know how to pray. We don't have a prayer life. We don't know what to pray. We don't know how to navigate life prayerfully. And I think many of us don't pray or don't have a prayer life because we don't know how. And even if we do, a lot of us have an understanding of how to pray that's built on a faulty definition of prayer. 
But if you could learn how to pray like the disciples were taught by Jesus, if you can learn how to pray like Daniel or Elijah or, or Jeremiah or Isaiah or the men of old that we see and the women of old that we see all throughout Scripture, if you can learn to pray the way Jesus prayed, I'm telling you, there's so much more that God has for you. But the best life that God has for you, this side of heaven, I know it's temporary, I know it's fleeting, but the best life God has for you is going to require a life of prayer. There's no way around it. That is a necessary component and ingredient to the best life God has for you. He says, I have a tremendous life for you. That might include persecution and suffering and going through turmoil and distress, you know, and losing friends. There's a lot that comes attached to that. Trouble is attached to this life. But the best God has for you is built on a foundation of prayer. And I don't say that lightly. And I, and I understand now why God prolonged the series till I was in this place. I understand now why God waited for us to be in our first ever home with our little family here in South Carolina, out of Florida, out of California, this crazy journey that God has brought us through. And it's all been the byproduct of just praying. I understand now why he had me do this series and waited to do it till now. Prayer is so powerful and yet it's so lacking in so many people's lives. And you can emphasize the word of God and the truth of God and Bible study and being scholarly and being theological and having quiet time, but without prayer, uh, alongside that knowledge you gain or that wisdom you're employing or the life that you're living from scripture, without prayer, it is very hard, even with all the truth and wisdom in the world, it is very hard to navigate life and live the best that God's called us to. So here's why prayer should be as normal to you and I as breathing. And I know that seems like an exaggerated claim. But when you learn to pray as, as much as you possibly can, as closely to the degree that you breathe, when you learn to pray and define prayer appropriately, and we'll get into the scripture, but this is, this is on my heart because I'm thinking about all that God has done. There's so many prayers that I'm standing in. So many answered prayers that I never thought would happen. And after this series, my prayer, my genuine prayer, is that you would have a strong prayer life. So here's the power of prayer. And this might sound again like an overstated claim. It's not. I'm going to back it with scripture, but I, I want you to write this down. And again, if I didn't say this already, the notes for every message from here on out are going to be linked in the description below. You can check it out. My encouragement to people is use these notes, use this video, use these resources for small groups for Bible study. And I've, I've given you the notes up front, the outline, the, mes the exact message I'm reading from. It's yours. Enjoy. Use it. But there's also small group questions at the end. God has determined prayer. And I remember learning this from John Piper a while ago. And I thought, yeah. And I've adjusted it and kind of customized the way I understand this in my own context, but the point still stands. John Piper taught me this. God has determined prayer to be the method of causing things. I want you to soak that in. God has determined prayer to play a causal role in bringing about a kind of effect in the world, in your culture, in your neighborhood, in your family, 
in your job situation, in the lives of your coworkers. That's an incredible statement. I remember hearing that and I thought, I've never thought of prayer like that. This doesn't mean God can't do anything without prayer. I want to make sure I make that abundantly clear. God is not somehow restricted to you not praying. It's like, I really want to, but my plan can't move forward unless that God has ordained that certain things will not happen without prayer. But his overall plan to bring about redemption and glorification and a new creation, his overall plan won't be stopped by certain things not happening that he's appointed to happen only through prayer. Prayer has a causal nature to it. God responds. God really does. Not to make him some robot where you plug in, you pull the, you know, the slot machine just right and you'll get the right results. This is when you pray, there are results, whether a yes, a no, or a not yet, there's an answer and there are results that will come from that. God responds to prayer. And he has sovereignly ordained We don't box God into this, but he has sovereignly ordained that prayer is a method of causing things in our world. So if you, if I asked you, what is prayer? A lot of people would, you know, kind of gather data from the culture, gather data from TikToks they've seen, gather data from what they've seen and experienced in life. And the world's definition, here's how the world would define prayer. The world defines prayer as an earnest request or a wish. A devout request to God. And I believe I got this straight from uh, the dictionary. Just Googled it. I said, what is prayer? An earnest request or wish, a devout request to God, or an object of worship. That's just, this is how the culture defines prayer. A set of words or an order of words used in religious service, a formula or sequence of words used to petition an object or worship, wishful thinking, meditation, kind of like yoga, becoming one with the universe, spiritual ascent, almost like casting a spell and saying the right words. This is how the culture understands prayer. You say the right words, you get the right results. You plug the right numbers in, you get the right results. It's a formula, right? Whatever object or, 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 or sacred you know, stone or person or being you're praying to, do this and here's the results. That's how the world understands prayer. Here's how the average Christian understands prayer. Because I know it's going to be different, but the average cr- Christian defines prayer like this. It's something that you do when life is hard. It's something that you do that doesn't always work. It's not a complete waste of time, but subconsciously, I kind of do believe it's a waste of time. A lot of Christians would look at prayer as something I don't have time for, something I need complete silence to do. I need everyone to shut up so I can really focus. And a lot of people, a lot of Christians, sadly, would say, prayer is saying the right thing to kind of, you know, move God into doing what I want kind of, uh, if you might say it, manipulating God into doing what I want by saying the right words or in the right order. Or maybe it's something that older, mature Christians do, like Betty behind, you know, her closet. I don't know, Betty, but she's 86, and she's got nothing better to do but pray, so we leave that to the older saints. You know, they're seasoned. They've lived their life. Let them pray for us to live ours. This is how the typical Christian understands prayer. Here's prayer defined in scripture. It is talking to God, and I encourage you to write this down. It is talking to God with intention and purpose as his beloved child and according to his word. 
And we will break down every dimension of that statement throughout this series. Throughout this series, we'll unpack every dimension of that definition. But for now, here's just the statement we're going to work with, the definition we're going to use every, every single message of this series. Prayer is talking to God with intention and purpose as his beloved child and according to his word. And there's a lot that goes into that. So the big question is, how do we pray correctly, you know, according to scripture? Well, before you can pray biblically in a way that honors God, in a way that's consistent with his character, in a way that's consistent with his word, you and I need to answer this question, what is prayer? And you're going, you just told us. Now, that was just a general definition we're working with. But I want to unpack that for you today a little more. Here's the scripture, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. I know that's not typical of the way I usually start messages and series. That's, that's fine. There's a lot that I didn't plan to say that I, I thought really needed to be said. Hebrews 4.16. I want to make sure the screen is scrolling. Okay, cool. We're good. It says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Drawing near to the throne of grace is usually a way to explain approaching God, whether in confession, whether in repentance, whether in prayer, whether in worship. It's drawing near to the throne of grace. And each of those words are so intentional. And the author of Hebrews is telling us to do this, inviting us to do this. God, through the author of Hebrews, is compelling people to draw near to his throne of grace with confidence. Why? Well, so that or that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, the context overall in chapter 4 of Hebrews is temptation, fighting, trials, distress, fighting the flesh and the world, and everything that comes with that, right? And, and what can usually overwhelm us, we need help. We need help. And there's grace and there's mercy, whether it's in confession, repentance, self-discipline, asking for willpower, whatever it is, in prayer, approaching the throne of grace, it's supposed to be done with confidence. And as you do that, you find grace and mercy to help in time of need. So the first thing I want you to understand about what prayer is, is it's entering the very near presence of God. Another way to say it is, you are boldly approaching the throne of Almighty God. You're approaching his throne. If you understand scripture, you're a Bible student, you've been a Christian for a while, you know what that throne represents. You know the authority and the power and the sovereign rule and yet the grace and mercy and love behind that throne. You know the lightning and rumblings. You know the angels crying out holy and holy, covering themselves. You know the fact that God dwells in unapproachable light. No one can approach him on their own terms. You understand all that. So when you hear throne of grace, all of those pictures come together to form this mosaic of what it is that you're approaching in prayer. Sometimes I find it helpful when I'm understanding prayer or trying to pray or just trying to get into a mode of prayer is I picture that throne as best as I can, as best as Isaiah or John or other biblical writers can have given us data to build that picture from. As much as I can, I try and visualize as biblically as I can what it looks like to approach that throne. 
and the God who sits on that throne, who rules over all things with the angels, thousands, myriads of thousands of thousands of angels, thousands times ten thousands, worshiping, covering themselves, covering their bottom half, screaming, holy, 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 with lightning and thunder and, and a big old rainbow and dwelling in unapproachable light. That God with the elders casting their crowns, that's the God we approach in prayer. And sometimes it's helpful to visualize that when you pray, to understand you are not just coming into some, I don't know, some Wendy's or McDonald's. You're approaching the living God who sustains the universe in the fabric of reality, who is both just yet merciful and gracious, who has judgment and wrath against his enemies, but forgiveness and kindness towards those who cry out for forgiveness. We approach the holy of holies Every time we choose to pray, every time I choose to direct my thoughts to God, every time I choose to become aware of the fact that God is present and we are the temple of God and I'm filled with the Spirit, when I choose to direct my thoughts and attention onto God, in that moment there is a mental, spiritual, emotional kind of reality taking place where I'm approaching the throne of grace and yet God is near. So it's this, you're seated in heavenly places with Christ, Ephesians chapter 2, And yet you're approaching that throne of grace, yet you're here on the earth. It's all these ideas colliding. That's what prayer is. That's what prayer is. The idea of drawing near is used typically of the priests, especially the high priest on the Day of Atonement, where he would go and atone for the ritual impurity of the nation of Israel, and he'd bring sacrifices and blood and, and incense, and he'd go with the bells hanging down just in case something goes wrong, and he'd go into the Holy of Holies where only he could go on one day through the way God prescribed, and he would draw near to the Ark of the Covenant. And that was a reverential kind of awe and respect and even kind of holy terror, like a godly kind that would take over that man. When you pray, prayer is simply coming to God. Um, and I, and I want to make sure I balance reverence and awe and God's holiness and justice with the fact that he calls his children to just come as they are and not put on a face, not put on a show, not try and present themselves as something they're not, but to come as honestly and genuinely and as transparently as they're allowed to be, which is totally themselves, come to me with this childlike invitation where we get to approach our father. I want to balance that, that gentle father heart of God for his children with the fact that he is absolutely capable of just absolutely shutting the world down at any moment and just being like, I'm done. He could. He's not going to because that's not how God works. He's going to redeem all things and make new creation. But the fact is when you come to God, it's like, and I say like on purpose because I'm not restricting prayer to this illustration, but it's helpful in this degree. It's like you would go to your friend's house Think of the temple sacrifices. The temple was quite literally the dwelling place of God among the nation of Israel, where heaven and earth intersected in that specific location geographically for the nation he chose, okay? It was a type of garden where the presence of God wasn't in that fullness, that full capacity, but it was in the sense that there's a reverential, this space is holy and sacred, okay? So in that sense, the people of Israel would bring sacrifices. The the priests would have sacrifices. The high priest would bring sacrifice, okay? And they would approach the temple or the house of God among his people with reverence and awe, but also a sense of um, we are welcomed here. He's invited us to be here. 
So, so that's why I say it. it's like going to a friend's house, of course, assuming you're invited and you're not that one kid that's like uh, <laughs> overstepping your welcome and overstaying your welcome. But when a friend invites you, come on over. You, when you go into the house, you're welcome to be there. You're welcome to have conversation. He's inviting you to be, or she's inviting you to be there in, in their presence. That's what God does with prayer. Is you and I are so, we're so prone to focus on the results and the outcome and, and, and what this prayer will do. And we forget that it is primarily about relationship and friendship with the living God who invites us to know him, even though we have no, um, we're not entitled to that. That's how I'll say it. Even though we have no right to be there without Christ, yet he invites us and makes us able, able to be there. So that prayer, again, entering the very near presence of God, Ephesians chapter 3, um, talking about what God has done in Christ. This was according to the eternal purpose he's realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence. This is the second passage where confidence and boldness are appropriate, reasonable for children of God. You and I have somewhat been taught, depending on your upbringing in church, we've somewhat been taught that um, you should approach God with your tail tucked between your legs because you don't deserve to be there and he could strike you down at any minute and you should realize that. And it's to the neglect of the boldness and the confidence God says is appropriate for his children. And this is not egotistical. This is not uh, prideful. This is not self-exalting. This is, God, if you told me I can come with confidence and boldness through the name of your son and the work of your son in prayer, I'm going to do that. And it's through our faith in him. Now, the author here specifically talking about the relationship dimension of, you know, through Jesus, we have relationship with God. Absolutely. But what follows from that is that we get to pray. I get to invest into that relationship. I get to, you know, develop that relationship with God. I, I get to know him more through prayer, through scripture, through his people, through life experience. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory, Paul says. Another passage I want to show you. And, and notice, there's an approaching, there's an accessing, there's a coming near. It is to approach the throne room presence of the Almighty God who dwells within us. And yet when I ch choose to direct my attention on God, there's a sense in which I am walking up to the throne of the King of the universe. And he's invited me to come boldly, He's invited me not to come sheepishly and timidly like Esther's approaching the king in Esther, right? That's not the kind of approaching we're talking about. We're, your son is so sufficient, I'm allowed to be here because he's good enough and he extended grace to me and he paid for my debt and he paid for my sin and he died my death. I can be here. And so I'm confident not in my efforts and my obedience and my, my performance. I'm confident in him. And I'm bold because he allows me to be here. So Ephesians 2.18, this is prayer. Through him, through Jesus, we both, Gentile, Jew, regardless of who you are, there's one new humanity in Christ. We both have access in one spirit to the Father. That's the beauty of prayer. Technically, and I want to cautiously say this so no one takes this out of context, don't soundbite me, but we deserve, because of Jesus, we deserve to have access to the Father now. It's a right and a privilege he's extended to us that I don't deserve, but he gave it to me anyway. And now by the spirit of God within me, as the collective temple that we are, 
not only do we house the presence of God and he dwells within us and he fills us, as Jesus says, we're his body, but we can access the presence of God at any time through prayer. That's the power, that's the sacredness of prayer. That's the transcendent nature of prayer is that it goes beyond this reality in this world and this physical temporary mode of existence and it brings us into something that is beyond everything we know, into the spiritual eternal presence of God, who is spirit, right? But by the spirit and through the work of Jesus, we're now capable of being there. Whereas before that, before we believed, there's no way, there's no way. We had no right. Last verse. I really hope this changes your understanding of prayer. That it is entering the very near presence of God. It is boldly approaching his throne. 1 Corinthians 3 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple? That God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. And you are collectively he's talking to the church in Corinth the people of God you all y'all are that temple y'all are that temple so many of us culturally this is cultural Christianity that just runs in our veins we've been trained to think that entering God's presence is about location I'll never forget working at a Baptist church as a youth pastor for a number of years there was a sense in which many of the people not all the people but many of the people who grew up in that Baptist kind of movement and church nothing against that but the way that they treated the sanctuary apart from the youth room or the children's ministry or the hall or the fellowship hall or whatever it ends up being every other part of the building they would view the sanctuary as this sacred space to the point that if I wore a backwards hat, people would get offended. And I learned to adapt to the culture and work with what people understood of God. And you know, I, I, I did all that. But it's as if cultural Christianity has made the presence of God about a physical location. Like God is really present in that sanctuary. He's really, he's, he's really in that building. Actually, 1 Corinthians 3 kind of flies in the face of that. I do believe that there are what you might call hot spots of an increased awareness of God's presence or a heightened awareness of his nearness or God is very clearly making it evident I am here right I do believe there are moments like that in life and as we gather but it's not about a geographical location because first Corinthians 3 says you are the temple of God so everywhere we go everywhere we gather the presence of God goes in other words, sacred territory to be like, this is where I pray. You know, like in the movies where people are like, I'm going through a midlife crisis. And then they go and they find, I need to find a Catholic church. And then like the next scene, they're praying on their knees, like at the altar. It's like, yeah, this is where God is. I needed to go this far to really seek God. That's, that's the idea that a lot of us have about prayer. Is I really don't engage in intense prayer until I'm there on Sunday or until I'm there at the altar, or until I'm in the pew, really moved by worship enough to... And we think prayer is about a geographical location, a physical space where Jesus actually in John chapter 4 tells the woman at the well, whether in this mountain or that mountain, it's not about a place. All who worship God will worship him in spirit and truth and worship, as we're going to see in the rest of scripture and the rest of the series, worship and prayer are often synonymous Surprise. So if you've been trained to think that uh, prayer is more serious in this location or it's more sacred in this location or I really pray there, right? 
It's okay to have a place of prayer where it's like, you know, in my house, everyone's nuts. So I need a closet. That's fine. It doesn't mean like that's where God really is. That's just where you can choose to silence everything, shut it down. There's quiet, right? right? Not so much quiet that you're like drowning in your thoughts, but enough to really help you focus on God's presence. That's fine. But entering God's presence is not about going a certain place. I got to go there to really see God. I, again, I think environments and atmospheres and, and, and the surrounding context of wherever we find ourselves can play a role in us being more aware of God's nearness. I'm not denying that. But we always have access to God through prayer. The question becomes, does he always have our attention? That's where prayer comes in. And I sadly have to say, I... For me, I'll speak for myself. No, God does not have my attention as much as I want him to have it. I'm just distracted. Like golden retriever with some extra kind of mental issue. That's what I am. So distracted. I want to change that. So prayer number one, as we define and unpack it, is entering the very near presence of God through the work of Jesus by the Spirit. It's with boldness and confidence. It's approaching the throne of God. The second thing prayer is, and we have three more, okay? Four altogether. The second thing prayer is, is it's calling upon the Lord and seeking his face. You're going to see a lot of that language used of Noah, Abraham, specifically the patriarchs, the older saints in, in Genesis and Exodus, where the way they would relate to God or pray or sacrifice or worship is referred to as calling upon the Lord or calling upon his name. Jeremiah 29, 12 through 13. This is specifically about the people of Israel and the promise to them and what God's inviting them to have in the future. God has a future for his people. He says, then you will call upon me right here, and you will come and pray to me. So I want to notice three different actions or way of explaining prayer. And I believe these are all the same ideas used in different, stated in different ways. And I will hear you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. God does promise, and and if you think, well, this is just for the nation of Israel, actually in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus states for all people, everywhere, in every nation, every tongue, everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus, that you and I are promised some kind of reward from God when we seek him. Now, God defines that reward. He gets to choose that, not me. This is not some kind of game show where I go, "Mm, what's behind curtain B? God goes, "Eh, I'll tell you what you get. I'll tell you what reward you get. But the way prayer is framed up here is calling upon God, coming and praying. Now, this refers back to what Solomon said about the temple when it was first erected. And he said, God, if your people were called by your name, if they turn their heart to this temple and pray toward this temple, would you please hear them? And God honors that. God honors that request. And actually, Solomon's request was in line with the will of God there. And And God honors that in the future of the nation of Israel. Now we have the people that have that same opportunity. And so prayer here is referred to as seeking God. Or another way is seeking his face, as we'll see in Matthew chapter 6 in one of the next few episodes. It's calling upon God. 
I want you to think about this language and, and what kind of pictures come into your mind when you hear call upon God, come to him and pray, seek him with all your heart. Those are all ways of saying pray. Pray. Isaiah chapter 55, another one of these verses that says, seek him. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now, of course, you can, you can dig into the context. You can see who he's talking to. You can see the setting. You can see what's going on, right? But the point, the general wisdom principle about seeking God still stands. Calling upon God, seeking God, involves forsaking really evil, sin, that which doesn't align with the presence and the ways and the truth of God. The unrighteous man forsake his thoughts, let the wicked forsake his way, let him return to the Lord. And this is the context here is a kind of turning from what John the Baptist called the people of Israel to do. Turn, repent, be saved. The king is coming. His wrath is very real. And you want to be on his good side. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This is, a, this is how prayer is often framed up in Scripture. Is it's calling upon God with your lips, with your heart, with your mind engaged, seeking to find God. The question becomes, do you seek God in order to find you? Do, do you pray with the intent to find God? Or do you pray looking at the clock the whole time going, is it time to leave? Is it time to leave? Oh, good Lord. Do you pray with the intent to find God? Because to seek is to search out for something, to look for something intently. Right? It's the idea of a peasant desiring an audience with the king, being desperate to seek out his help, to find justice in a situation. It's, it's how the whole earth sought the presence of King Solomon to hear his wisdom and gain his insight. It's to seek in order to find. So many of us say we're seeking in prayer. But then when you look at the consistency and the persistence of our prayer, someone on the outside would go, you don't really seem to be looking for God as intently as you tell us you are, as much as you think you are. First Samuel 1.15, here's what prayer is again. And there are probably you know, 50 ways we can explain what prayer is. But these are just the four I wanted to tackle today. That number one, prayer is entering the very near presence of God. Number two, it's calling upon the Lord or seeking his face. And number three, pouring out our soul before God is often what prayer is. Hannah is someone who is barren. She ends up being just another wife of a guy who is named, forget his name. But in other words, she's barren. She's one of the wives he has. The other wife has children. She does not. And so she's in distress, pouring out her soul before God. Hannah is uh, acu- being accused of being drunk. Eli, the priest, I believe the high priest, sees her praying, kind of muttering to herself or mumbling to herself. And he goes, how long are you going to go on being drunk? Which, by the way, you probably don't want to accuse people of doing that straight out the gates. Like really make sure <laughs> what you think is happening is actually happening. They don't just go into churches and be like, why are y'all drunk? Hold on, let's assess the situation. I mean, he straight up goes, put your wine away from you. Like, whoa, coming out swinging. Hannah goes, no, um, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong dr- drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. 
That's that's what her prayer is framed up as. Right here, Lord of hosts, look upon me. She's essentially going, God, would you please provide me a child? And guess who she gets? She's the mother of Samuel, one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. I think God answered her prayer. But the way she understands prayer, the way she explains prayer to Eli is, I'm pouring out my soul before God, making known the things of my heart. Like if I took this cup, I just went, foosh. That's what Hannah's doing with her heart and her soul. So many of us have these reservations when we come into the presence of God and when we pray. We have, there's certain things we don't t- talk about, certain things we don't touch like, that's a no-no. Those are the skeletons in the closet. We don't address that. We don't talk about that. We don't even look at that when we're praying. And Hannah's going, everything in my heart, my distress, my anguish, my frustration, my complaint, I'm bringing it before God. And guess what? We'll talk about godly complaint. And uh, I forget which episode of the series. But there is a way to biblically bring your complaint before God without being accusatory or blaming. So... That's one of the ways to understand prayer is it is a way to pour out what you bottle up over years. What even your you know, therapist can't get out of you. What you won't even share with your counselor. God goes, I'll be your counselor. I already see it all anyway. So it's not like you're telling me something I don't know. So might as well tell me, right? And you're like, I, I guess I should. Thanks for knowing everything. And God's like, But this is what prayer is. It's pouring out our soul. There should be nothing we intentionally hide or even like we should address the subconscious and go, where am I subconsciously trying to hide something? A sin, a weakness, a frustration, a complaint, something I'm going through that I'm just like kind of keeping on the back burner as I approach God as if everything's great. Lord, I just thank you and thank you. And God's like, you going to touch that? You going to bring that to me? Because I really want to address it. I would really love to. And sometimes God will actually pull it out of us and address it in a way where we're like, I was not ready for that. And he's like, I know he never would have been. So I just decided to do it for you. That's the goodness of God. He knows when to do that. Psalm 142 verse 2, it says, I pour out my complaint before him. This is, the context is a plea for mercy, crying out to God. In what prayer? I tell my trouble before him. That's, for some of you, that's all you needed, this message. Like, you're good to go. Class dismissed. That's all you needed. You just needed to realize, I have permission from God, and I'm even told by God to tell my trouble to him, to bring my my distress and my complaint and my frustration to pour it out before him because he's a big boy, and he can handle it. And I need to learn how to be honest and, and transparent and genuine and authentic. And not this fake, hey God, I'm only going to talk about the things I feel comfortable talking about. Everything on your heart and your mind, bring it before him. The last thing, which technically isn't a fourth thing, but it's a way to wrap it all up. Okay, so I misread my notes. To bring it full circle. Prayer is talking to God with intention and purpose as his beloved child and according to his word. What this means is, to sum it up, and this we're going to unpack this in depth throughout this series, but each of these messages is going to be shorter. These aren't going to be your typical like four-hour message with Above Reproach Ministry. This is 
These are going to be shorter because I, I don't want to overload you with information. I'd rather give you, dose it out and portion out this information and knowledge so that you can do something with it and not be overwhelmed. So what prayer is, is it's entering the very near presence of God. It's boldly approaching the throne of God. It's calling upon him, seeking his face. And it's pouring out our soul before God. And in different contexts, in different times, in different seasons, in different environments, this is going to look different. Sometimes the pouring out your soul portion is going to be really emphasized, you know, on a specific day or in a specific season. Sometimes, you know, there's, you're going to see a, like a period of time where it's like just seeking the face of God. That's my intent. There's no pouring out complaint. I'm just seeking to know you. I'll love to know you. But a lot of times you'll see all these different elements come together in your prayer. So be mindful of that. The next time you pray, pray, pay attention to the ways in which you're doing these things. Like begin to categorize what you're saying. Go, that was pouring out my soul. That was, and don't overanalyze it to the point where you're like robotically formulate, but where you're like understanding, whoa, that was me seeking the presence of God. That was me approaching boldly, taking him at his word, claiming his promises, trusting in Jesus. That was me pouring out my soul before God. And begin to categorize those different prayers you make and the way you pray and, and begin to recognize those things. I think that'll be helpful. But, you know, again, all these notes with some application questions, with some small group questions, uh, you can just download in the description below. Um, so if you're wondering where are the notes and you want to share this video or bring this uh, into your Bible study or your home group and use this as, as curriculum, the notes are in the description below. And I think what would be helpful now is to take a few questions as we close. Just a few questions. Because I know... Y'all's got questions. And look, if you didn't get the notes or, or you didn't catch what I was saying, that's fine. Uh, go ahead and download the notes in the description of this YouTube video. If you're on TikTok, um, which it doesn't look like TikTok's even working, so that's great. Uh, so never mind, that's irrelevant. But um, yeah, I'd love to take some questions. We'll see how this works. Just a few questions regarding prayer and what was said today. Maybe some points of clarity, uh, points of clarification you guys need. Um, I would love to address those things as I'm able to. So what I'm going to do is just take the chat, put it right here where everyone can see, put y'all on blast. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But as you guys gather any questions or any points of clarification you need or Whatever it is, I'm going to uh, open this in Chrome because the extension for me sharing comments, if this is going over your head and you don't care, but the extension I use for displaying comments only works on Chrome. So let me make sure I pull it up. View live. Perfect. So I should be able to shut that down. Pop out this chat. Boop, 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 boo. I think what I'm most excited about, uh, changing kind of the format of what we're doing a little bit, is um, seeing small groups in Bible studies in homes um, kind of be uh, 
um, I guess the, the, the message and the, the notes being helpful in those contexts, I'm excited to see that. That this would go beyond information and become transformation. Give me one sec. Bada bing, bada boom. So what you should be able to see is the question on the screen. Sweet. Um, I know Leandra had a question, so let me. She says, good morning, sister, by the way. She says, can you expand on the statement that some things don't happen without prayer? Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, trying to think of just an example in scripture. Um, 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 let's just take Israel, for instance. God is inviting the nation of Israel when they're like in rebellion and rejecting God and in idolatry and you know, just rejecting God outright. And God sends the prophets to say, look, I'm going to destroy, let's just take Jerusalem. I'm going to destroy Jerusalem through King Nebuchadnezzar if you guys don't turn and repent and come back to me. Um, that was, in, in fact, God inviting them to pray and to confess and repent and change their mind and go, you know what, God, we're coming, but we're returning to you. And the expression of that would have been prayer confessing sin, turning from believing what the prophets were saying, there was a legitimate opportunity for them to be spared. I read, uh, trying to think, Jeremiah, um, Ezekiel. There's just all these opportunities, even Isaiah to Israel, all these opportunities that if they had prayed, things would have gone differently. They would have avoided that wrath that God brought on them through King Nebuchadnezzar or th you know, through the king of Assyria when it comes to Israel which uh, I forget, Sennacherib, I forget who he is, what the name of that king is. But that, that, that's a good example from scripture because I do believe, Leandro, that there is a lot God, I'll say this, there's a lot God's going to do without any involvement. In, in other words, he's going to do it whether people partner with him or not. But then there seems to be in scripture a category of, look, if you fill in the blank, I will. Where God leaves it up to people whether they want to do their part of that condition so that he will do his. And prayer is often one of those conditions for God going, look, I will if you fill in the blank. And so I do believe there's a lot in life we miss out on, which doesn't mean we've missed the opportunity entirely. Sometimes it'll come up again, right? Um simply because we don't pray. We're not prayerful. We don't bring that before the Lord. We don't ask him for his will. We don't let God or, or I guess, um, submit to God's involvement in that situation. We don't do that. And so I do believe that there are lots of things that do not happen because people simply aren't asking. And whether or not those things happen will not affect the ultimate plan God has to bring about new creation, to glorify us, to, you know, cause us to reign with Christ. So I know some people would have frustration with the fact that, well, are you minimizing God? No, I'm saying God has decided I will not if people don't first. God invites, but if we don't meet the condition and do our part, God says, I won't do mine. And whether or not he, that thing happens, 
doesn't affect the overall plan. It won't. It's not. It doesn't. It's not like dang it. Sherry didn't pray for this, so now I got to reverse everything, and my whole plan of redemption falls apart. That's just not how this works. Um, Leroy is asking the difference between intercession and supplication. Um, supplication and intercession intersect um, in the sense that both are making a plea. Both are bringing a petition. Both are not begging God. I don't think that's the right word. Both are requests. Okay. Intercession is based on the word interceding. Jesus is our intercessor, our intermediary, the mediator of the new covenant. He stands between us and the Father. Right. So in that sense, he is the middleman between man, humanity, and God. And so when we intercede, um, we are praying for another standing in the gap between them and God, not trying to replace Jesus or be the high priest or be the mediator. All we're saying is, hey, I'm going to stand in for them and pray for them that you would do something that they don't even know to pray for or even want to pray for. Supplication is not always about praying for another. Supplication can be for yourself. And we'll we'll probably answer all these things in a lot more detail in coming episodes. Uh, Mercedes. Why is it not working? Oh, silly me. There we go. What's the difference between prayer and worship and fasting and prayer? That is a really long answer. But the short answer, Mercedes, is prayer is talking to God with intention and purpose as his beloved child and according to his word. And I took that from John Piper too and customized it a bit. And then worship is going to include prayer. Prayer is going to be a kind of worship, a kind of offering we bring to God. In a, and worship is just um, expressing love and adoration and with a sense of reverence uh, for God. Whether that's expressed in my life or what I bring him or what I do or how I talk to him. Um, fasting is when you choose to stay away from said thing for a period of time so that whatever gap is left by that thing you're staying away from, you come to God and say, fill this gap. So for instance, it's abstaining from food for a period of time so that you're more aware of your need for God and every time you're hungry, you pray. It's supposed to prompt an, uh, a, an awareness of your need for God and lead you to pray more and not depend as much on whatever it is you're letting go of. Christian says, how to distinguish informal prayer as well as formal in terms of how can we honor his name while pouring out to him? Um, I'll say this, Christian. I express as honestly as I feel led to. When I pray, I express everything I'm feeling, but... I'm mindful of who God is as I do that. Does that make sense? So it's never to the neglect of God's character or his truth or his holiness in terms of, I'm just I'm just being honest, I'm speaking real. No, you can be honest and, and share, express how you are really feeling while being mindful of who God is so that the way you say it and the way you express that 
is aligned with who God is. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean you're like changing what you're what you would rather say to not offend God. You're still going like like if I'm going, I'll be honest. Like this is how I talk to God. Lord, I am today just sucks, terrible. I realize that but I know you're sovereign and good and holy and there's no reason for me to give into these feelings. So I express how I'm feeling, but simultaneously I remind myself of what is true to combat whatever wrong feeling or wrong thing that I'm expressing. Because sometimes you'll see this with the, in the Psalms where the psalmist will start off saying things that you're like, ah, that almost seems wrong to say. And then he, he begins to... Um, like as he expresses those raw emotions and those real feelings and how he actually is, you know, seeing life, he'll slowly start to go, but you God and you this. And then over time at the end of the Psalm, you'll go, wow, it's like he's a different person. It's because he didn't just express himself. He simultaneously reminded himself and asked God to help him remember who God is, what he's done, what he's promised so that that outweighs any bad thing I'm expressing if there is such a thing because I I think some people can be too loose with that where they almost defame and dishonor the name of God and treat him with contempt in the name of I'm just being authentic Um, there's a few questions. Let's do this. Like what Mary says, this is fantastic. She says, lamenting is biblical. There's a whole letter by Jeremiah called Lamentations. Do you know what he's doing? He's lamenting, he's grieving. And a lot of the times we'll find ourselves grieving to the point where we start thinking wrongly, right? And our grief begins to take over our ability to think and reason and remember the truth. And so now we're seeing life through the lens of grief and distress and we're forgetting what's, what's ultimately true. So that's why as you grieve, part of the way we express that to God and the way we combat being overtaken by that grief or distress is by reminding ourselves of the truth. Marvin says, is there a proper time to pray? Is there such a thing as too much prayer? This is a fantastic question, Marvin. When prayer is never accompanied with activity, you have to really take a step back and go, do I really want what I'm asking for? Do I really mean it? Um, I'll say it like this. Sometimes what we pray for, we can do nothing about. Right, Marvin? We've all been cornered and actually being cornered and realizing I've exhausted every resource, all my knowledge, all my ability. I have reached my end. Being cornered like that will drive us sometimes to pray and look to him. So sometimes prayer is in a moment or a season where we can't do anything about what we're asking God to do. Other times, there is something I can begin doing uh, to start moving towards what I'm asking God for. So if I go, Lord, Ah oh, man, my family's financially tight and my job, it's just, it ain't cutting it. What I can do is pray and ask God for uh, provision or clarity, but I can also 
start applying for other jobs as I feel led. But you have to be careful that you don't begin taking action out of fear that God won't come through. Because sometimes people will overemphasize the the action, Marvin, to the neglect of trusting God. And they'll go, well, I just got to be faithful and take responsibility. You did that because you were afraid. You didn't do that because you trusted God and you thought that was the next step towards what you're praying for. You did that because you're praying, and as you're doing that, you're simultaneously worrying that he won't do anything, so you're trying to get ahead of the game and overstep and get ahead of God so that just in case he doesn't come through, I've got mine and I've taken care of me. So be careful that you don't pray without action, and also be careful that you don't pray and then take the wrong action. Does that make sense? And sometimes we're just called to pray about a situation that we can do nothing about. Does that make sense, Marvin? Hope so. One more question and then I got to get out of here. As you can, well, you can't tell because the studio looks all nice, but everything behind it and around it looks like a bomb went off. Ah, this is a good question. Does prayer change the mind of God? That's going to be something I I forget when I address that in the series. So I just want to bring attention to that question and say, fantastic question. To unpack that adequately, it's going to take more time than I have in this live stream. Because it's going to come with scripture. It's going to, we're going to look at Saul. We're going to look at Moses. We're going to look at... Um, Anytime God in the Hebrew regrets, or sometimes in the translation, it can say repents. Not that he's turning from sin. We know that. But there seems to be a change of mind. It's like, did God anticipate that change of mind? You know, did God anticipate my prayer, like with Moses on Mount Sinai or um, King Saul? God's going, I wish I never. Or when the flood happens, I regret I made human. That kind of thing. You're like, mm, did God change his mind? So we'll talk about that. Um, This is more of a statement. I've seen the video, you can use Psalms as a structure of prayer. Absolutely. I I encourage, and we'll get into this in the rest of the series, I encourage people to use scripture uh, to frame up their prayers. Not in a mindless, repetitive kind of way where you're just just, uh, saying something you've memorized, but in a way where you're thoughtfully considering what you've read in scripture. And you might even imitate, like word for word, what David says or what Jesus says, and you mean it. You mean it. Mm-hmm. We'll probably end here. Can one pray amiss? The short answer is yes. Absolutely. Matthew chapter 6. James chapter 2, 
and three, I think. I forget we're in we're in James. Um, but he talks about you you don't have, even though you ask, because you ask amiss with wrong motives. So the short answer is yes. Uncreator says God's will in prayer is a contradiction. In your mind it is, but I don't see it at all like that, which is fine. You can see it that way. I don't think I'm bypassing or neglecting logic and critical thinking and reasoning at all. <clears throat> but God willing for something to happen. I'll say it like this. Again, God knowing, I've said this over and over, God knowing what's going to happen is not the same as God causing everything that happens. There's something that God, some things, actually a lot of things, that God is the absolute cause behind. And there are other things that God knows will happen, but he's left it up to human will, free will, uh, to play a role in that thing happening. It's not on God. Knowledge in and of itself is not causal in nature. I can know my son's about to fall off trampoline while I'm watching what he's about to do. I can see it. He's about to fall off. I know for a fact, 100%. Did I cause him to do that? No. So I don't know why knowledge has to be deterministic. Well, I don't necessarily see any other questions. So we'll save the Q&A either for tomorrow. Tomorrow's Wednesday. I'm on all thrown off because today is Tuesday. Usually we do this Monday. So tomorrow or Thursday will be the, the Q&A um, that you can bring your questions, think them through, you know, whatever it may be that you have not considered or you're not sure of, and uh, bring that. Uh, I'm not sure if it'll be tomorrow or the next day, but it'll be one of those days. As we close, though, some of you don't know this, but this is above reproach ministry, completely um, online at this point. Hold on, I'm trying to remove the comments. Go back. Pop out chat. Ha. Ah, shouldn't be able to see the comments now. <gasps> what the heck? Fine, we'll just do this. Aha. Perfect. Sorry, that was bugging me. But if you guys didn't already know, this is Above Reproach Ministry. You can find all the free resources we have, devotional studies, online Bible study courses, our free 40-day Bible study program, 27-day, 11-day program, um, as well as other online courses to learn how to read the Bible. We have Bible study worksheets, all my sermon notes from series that I've done. Um, our online church on the Discord app, you can join that. Uh, there's lots of stuff going on in the community, and you can get a copy of my book, Fruitful. You can sample it here. Um, you can listen to this message and other messages on the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. We have a second podcast called Above Reproach Church Podcast. Again, you can listen to that as well, wherever you listen to podcasts. And then you can support this ministry uh, just by going to donate and you can give. Well, now that I moved, technically, uh, this address for now is okay. But you can send a check to P.O. Box Green, uh, 338 or donate through debit or credit card right here or PayPal, Cash App, Venmo. Um, I have a wife and two kids and now a home that God has blessed us with. And so all the free resources in this ministry that are available to everyone around the world are made possible because of generous supporters like you guys. 
Um, God sustains this ministry. And if you want to get church merch as well, um, we have some digital products, some actual physical products. You can represent Jesus on your body. Jesus delivers cool sweatshirts and shirts that have been designed by us and hopefully more to come in the coming months and years. But I'm honestly exhausted. I need to go lay down, even though we're technically not going as long as I normally do. But I think that's all I have for you guys today. Yep, I think I hit everything. Well, you guys have a wonderful day. I really want you to think about what was said about prayer today and take this before the Lord and learn to pray. Um, Man, the way God invites us to. All right, you guys keep moving towards Jesus and I will see you guys either tomorrow or Thursday. I'm not sure which one, but I'll post in the community so you guys know. All right.